They sort of happen unexpected. And by definition, if something is spontaneous, we're not really ready for it. That would probably be a fair way to say it. We're not expecting it, so to speak. Well, when we read about the second coming of Christ, there's a hint of spontaneity there. Because we don't know when it's going to happen. But the difference there is... That while I can't be ready for Mary to surprise me with a trip to Cancun, (laughs) I can be prepared for the second coming of Christ. Because Jesus, and we're going to read tonight, and we're going to study tonight in these parables, Jesus prepared people for it. He warned, if we want to use the word warn, people knew this was coming. In fact, we read throughout the New Testament about how people were wishing for the Lord's return. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You can read verses 9 through 24. It's quite a bit of reading. But Paul, writing there, says, O Lord, come. Paul is saying right then, I wish the Lord would come tonight. If you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, which we read just a moment ago, we should all be, quote, as we read, looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God. All of us earnest, looking forward to earnestly desiring. There's things that we look forward to. I know that that woman that I work with is already looking forward to spring break. She'll be worthless for the next two months because all she can think about is that trip she's going to be taking. She's earnestly desiring that. We should be that excited 
about the second coming of Christ as well. Go to the very end, the last two verses of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. John says what? Even so, Lord, come quickly. So we see Peter, Paul, John, probably the three most famous people in the New Testament, if we want to think about it. There's probably very few people in the New Testament that you can think of that are as mentioned as often or talked about as much or seen as often other than Christ as Peter, Paul, and John. And all three of them said they wanted the Lord to come right then. <clears throat> well, that was all well and good, but he didn't come, right? There's five parables in the New Testament that teach about the sudden, unexpected, dramatic, if we want to use that word, coming of the Lord. But all of them, as they teach, will teach about readiness as well. So if we're going to accept that there will be a second coming of the Lord, and we don't know when that is, we have to also be willing to know that there is some readiness that will be, need to be done on our part. <clears throat> Let's start with the first parable. The first parable is from Mark chapter 13. Pick your Bible if you would please. Mark chapter 13. We're going to read verses 33 through 37. What you see on the screen here won't give you a whole lot of details, but it will give you the verses if you'd like to keep those or refer back to them later on. Mark chapter 13 verses 33 through 37. My Bible says at the start here, no one knows the day or the hour. Starting in verse 33, take heed Watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. <clears throat> it is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. You know, in the Bible, I don't know how many parables there are that Jesus gives. It's kind of debated because sometimes people say one is or one isn't a parable. And sometimes it's in the eye of the beholder. But verse 34 is a good way for us to tell how Jesus is talking in parables. In verse 24, he says, it is like... Jesus says that often throughout the Bible. It is like. Why does he talk like that? Why does he mention it? It is like. Well, it is like helps me explain something. Helps me understand something. It tastes like chicken. Right? Everything we've ever ate tastes like chicken. Right? Right? No matter what it is, how do we, you know, I'm going to eat this. You know, I'm in this, you know, place I've never been before. What does that taste like? It kind of tastes like chicken, right? Well, we use that term to help me better understand it, to help me better see what that means. If you tell me that if I eat this and it tastes like chicken, well, I know kind of what I'm getting into. When Jesus starts these parables, he says, it's like. Jesus can't help, he can't make me understand what the second coming is. That doesn't make any sense to me. Jesus was talking right here when there was no such thing as even a resurrection at the time. How in the world is a second coming going to be explained to these people? So he says, it's like, and then he goes into a story about somebody working or keeping the door, guarding the door. Well, that makes a lot more sense. There's people that have jobs like that. There's people that experience that. 
The man that goes into this far country in this story here represents Christ. Someday he'll return. And he gave responsibility to all his servants, but puts the emphasis here on the doorkeeper. <clears throat> the doorkeeper is similar to a sentry or a guard. Somebody be out in front of a post whose design or whose job is to protect and to guard, to be prepared for, maybe a gate, something like that. The doorkeeper's job was to watch at all times so that in, when the master comes, he could open the gate. The watching doorkeeper represents the responsibility to, for us to watch for our own souls, keeping ourselves ready for the Lord's return at all times. I'm no military person, but I know you'll get in trouble if you fall asleep when you're supposed to be watching the door. There's been a million stories and movies and probably wars won as a result of somebody falling asleep. That parable teaches us the responsibility of us to keep our eyes open, to stay focused, to keep that, have that door ready to open when that time comes. Let's go to the second one. Turn back a book to Matthew, the 24th chapter, verses 42 through 44. <clears throat> Our second parable is one about the owner of the house. Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I would say that you have all read those verses 500 times in your life. You've heard those referenced numerous times because I know I have. The Lord's coming is described here as what? A thief in the night. So my next few sentences aren't going to do anything for you. You've already heard all of this, I'm sure. But it's important for us to, to, to realize here, the Lord's coming is not a thief who comes unnoticed, but rather as a thief who comes unexpected. One of the things that you maybe do in your job or whatever, is sometimes you don't want to see things or notice things. Our principal, he, there was something that was going on outside of school, and we were hoping it wouldn't be a problem in school. And me and the assistant principal both pulled him aside and we said, do you know this? And he told us, he said, I am looking to know as little about that as I possibly can. Okay? Unnoticed right there is what he's aiming for. The thief here, though, comes unexpectedly. Okay? We talked about that spontaneity there at the beginning. The unexpected. The thief comes at an unexpected time. There's no such thing as a time for robbing houses. Okay? Sometimes we'll see that in the newspaper. Well, maybe we'll hear about that. They broke into the house at noon. And we'll say, well, that seems like an odd time to break into a house right in broad daylight. Well, is it? Not really. There's nobody there breaking into the house. <laughs> you know, if there was a time when all thieves will break in between 9 and 10 o'clock at night. Well, nobody ever leave their house, right? The thief comes at an unexpected time. Like we said, if we knew when he was coming, we'd be right there. Other passages 
also show this. This is not a one-time thing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 4, we see this. In 2 Peter 3, we just read. Verse 10, it describes it this way as well. The owner of the house, it emphasizes the need for watchfulness. I need to be watching. If I know that the thief comes to, at between 9 and 10, when do I have to focus? I have to focus between 9 and 10, right? The church is going to end at like 7. And so by the time we get out of here, it's probably going to be 7.30. But no, it takes like 10 minutes to get home. So I'll be home plenty of time to make sure the thief doesn't go. That's not how that works, is it? Watchfulness is not to be prepared for whenever it was. The owner of the house in this parable needs to be watchful because the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And when that thief comes, sometimes we'll see that same story and we'll say, I mean, maybe there's a video camera or footage or whatever. They were only in there for three minutes. Those great heists stories where they'll steal diamonds and jewels from museums and places. And they'll say, they were in there for seven minutes and they got away with all of this. And they long. We read about the Lord coming. And it says in a moment, what, in a twinkling of an eye? That's pretty quick, right? Am I watchful for that? Drop down a couple verses. Matthew chapter 24. The servant in charge of the household. You'll notice that all three of these kind of circling around the house, right? You got the guy out front. You got the guy that owns it. You got the person in charge. Matthew 24, this is our bit longer reading, but bear with me. Verses 45 down through the end of the chapter. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The servant said in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. You know, cell phones have made things a lot different than the old landline phones did. But I know growing up that if my sister and I had tasks that we had to do, we factored in what time mom or dad was going to be home in, the man, in getting that stuff done. If I knew they weren't going to be home until 5 o'clock, there was no need to be up working at 8 because I had all kinds of time, right? Or if I heard that I needed to have this done by noon and it was going to be closed, but then they called and they said, well, we're going to be a little bit later. It's time to relax, right? We all do that, right? The boss gives you a task and says, you got to have it done by this date. And you fret and you worry and then they give you an extension. It's like, well, give me a couple days here. I don't have to do anything instead of getting it done, right? The servant says in this story, my master is delaying his coming. This guy's not coming back forever. I don't even worry about him. A lot of us today think the same thing. We think that we have plenty of time, right? There's no urgency, no sense of urgency in getting prepared, at least not now. 
I'll do it at a later day, right? I'll get to that later on. Well, this, you know, I've got five things to do, and then we'll rank them of importance, but we'll get to it eventually. What do we see here in this story? While they're waiting, sort of stop focusing on the master. The servant begins to mistreat the fellow servants, right? He starts to eat and drink with the drunkards. The troublemakers that he's supposed to be in charge of, he's right in there amongst. He begins to submit to those temptations. He begins to live that same life that he was supposed to be guarding against. Something we have to guard against. A new dimension, though, here is kind of brought up here. You know, in the first one, the first parable, we, we talked about uh, the doorkeeper and how that we have to be prepared to be able to open that door when the person comes. In the second one, you know, the owner of the house, we have to be watchful. But this third one comes with something different. There's, a, there, there's peril and doom that's included in this one. Because the unfaithful servant here in this story will receive, will receive the same eternal destructions as that of unbelievers. Think about that for a second. There's a big difference in the stories right here. Because this unfaithful servant, he loses everything. They get rid of everything that he could possibly have. He loses out on all. We'll come in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. So we go from being watchful to there being a punishment as a part of it. Let's get to one that I'm sure all of us will remember. The fourth one. The parable of the ten virgins. I think we all know the story pretty well. It's only mentioned in the book of Matthew. But the parable of the ten virgins we read about here, they're preparing themselves for a wedding. And you know how the story goes, right? That five were prepared and five weren't. You know, the ten virgins sort of represents us as members of the church, right? You know, that extra oil for the lamps is that preparation, that service, that complete focus on what we're supposed to do. You know, everybody there had made preparation. All ten had made preparation. But some weren't prepared enough, right? Some were lacking. The sudden coming of this bridegroom, this man who's, prepared, who's there to get married, the sudden coming of this represents that same sudden coming of Christ as well. You know, the foolish were not able to obtain extra oil from their friends. They couldn't, they, they, they couldn't get that. I mean, think about that for just a second. If I'm looking to gain extra, they, they wanted that extra oil from their friends. They wanted, can you help me out with this? Well, there, right? They said, no, I, I've got what I need. Each person... In this story, the lesson is each person will stand on their own merits. Think about that for a second. Nobody can come to our aid when the Lord comes. Josh mentioned that this morning in Bible class when he said, you know, that, that nobody can take you away from God, but you do it yourself, right? These people that were in this story, the five, the five uh, wise and five foolish virgins, when we think about these people here, Half were prepared and half weren't. But when it was over, it was over. Show was over. There was nothing that they could do. Sad and tragic words will be pronounced to those who are not completely prepared. He said, I do not know. 
Think about that. I do not know you. If I was told, well, I used to know you, then I might have some hope that maybe my good memories would hold on, would get me there enough, right? I did enough. You know, there's people that you know, that you've not seen in forever, that you realize when you see them after a long time, oh, I remember him. I remember her. I don't remember a lot of them, but some, you know, there's something there. We read here, and we read in Luke chapter 13, verse 25 through 28. Depart from me, I never knew you. Never knew you at all. It's a big difference. The fifth and final parable is the proper use of talents or money. There's two different versions that sort of tell the same story. One in Matthew chapter 25, verse 30, describes the, the, the talents. And we all know the story. The man who was given, ten, uh, you know, was given five and he used it and he made it ten. And the one that was given two used it and made it four. And the one that was given one did what? He buried it, right? And when, it, when, it, when they came back to him, he had nothing, right? Hadn't, hadn't increased it in any way, shape, or form. He wanted to hold on to sort of what he had. The one we're going to focus a little bit on to finish tonight is from Luke chapter 19. The parable, my Bible refers to it as minas, but in a sense a form of money. And these are similar, but Luke's is a little bit more wider in scope. Luke's a little bit more complex. In Luke chapter 19, verse 11, there was much excitement from the crowd. They thought the kingdom would be set up as soon as he arrived in Jerusalem. And it makes sense because that's the kind of things that we've read about. You know, Jesus kept referring to this kingdom. Paul, Peter, John, we mentioned earlier, wanted him to come quickly. Everybody was sort of expecting it. Luke chapter 19, verse 12, when we read about it here, the nobleman who represents Christ here goes into a far country, that's heaven, to receive for himself a kingdom, that's a church, and to return, that'll be his second coming. This story reflects all the way back to the Old Testament. There were people that would have been hearing that that would have said, something here sounds familiar. It's from the book of Daniel. Daniel saw night visions. In chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, um, Daniel sees these night visions, one who came to the Ancient of days, we read about, and among other things, a kingdom was given to him. This is the Lord saying, you already know this. This parable is me reteaching something that's already been presented. Luke 19, 14, his citizens would not have him reign over them. Later, these enemies would be slain before him a little bit later. In the story, his servants are giving money, given money, just like Matthew chapter 25 talks about they were given each according to his ability, and they were told to do business until he returned. Because of their diligent label, labor, the faithful servants were greatly rewarded. The lesson for us, when he comes, the Lord will bless those who are hard at work in his kingdom. In both parables, there's one who does not use what was entrusted to him. There was a fear there. The fear that I need to hold on to what I've got. I can't grow. I can't take a chance. I can't take a risk. The unfaithful man, the unfaithful servant, however you want to read this, is labeled as a wicked and lazy servant. And is cast out 
and the darkness. So what's our conclusion here? Well, every one of these parables emphasize the sudden and unexpected coming of the Lord. We read that he'll come as a thief in the night, as the midnight arrival of the bridegroom, the late return of the owner of the house, the nobleman from a far country. And every one of these have one thing in common. We can't be indifferent. We can't be relaxed. We have to be ready, waiting, and watching for his return. So the law goes into our court. The spontaneity that we talked about isn't very spontaneous at all. Because if I'm living my life expecting the Lord to come, then I have to live my life in a way that would be what God wants me to be doing whenever the time comes. I don't know if I will be alive when the second coming happens. It's been a couple thousand years and a lot of people went to bed thinking that they might experience it and they didn't. Everybody from that point on has died first before it comes. So I don't think we need to spend our lives fretting over what day the second coming of the Lord is going to be. That's impossible to know. Bible tells us that even Jesus doesn't know. Right? Nobody knows. But if we spend our lives doing what we're supposed to be doing, then it won't matter when it comes. Because whether death or Jesus Christ coming, whichever one happens first, the reward will be all the same for us either way. So tonight... Our encouragement for you is what we see here on the board. Ready, waiting, and watching. And that only goes to you. Because as we said a moment ago, I can't do that for you. You can't do it for me. But whatever needs to be done, it's our hope and our wish that we could do it for you. If there's anything that we can do for you, we'd invite you to come while we stand and sing. Things are ready. Come to.